And then they go, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. And I said, hold on a second. I just need to pause for a minute. I need all of you to pause with me for a moment. And I just need to share with you what this represents for me, what this entire experience represents for me. For me, this represents another assault on my body in what has been a year of one after another after another. It feels incredibly vulnerable to lay here like this. And I think it's really important for you to know that. Welcome to Problem Performers, a podcast about professionals who challenge the status quo at work. I'm Rebecca Weaver, and yes, I too have been labeled a problem performer at least once or twice in my career. But looking back, I know where it is a badge of honor. In fact, all the most interesting people I know have earned this label at some point. In reality, these are the people who challenge their workplaces to be better and do better. I think we should all aspire to be problem performers in our work lives, because the only way to make real change is by shaking things up. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another solo episode. Happy New Year. I am in a bit of a contemplative mood, I suppose. You know, looking ahead at 2022, unsure, to be perfectly honest, whether I should feel optimistic about the coming year or whether we're just in for more of the same. But I also have some personal milestones that I'm looking at. So in just a few days, as of this recording, I'll be coming up on my two-year anniversary of being diagnosed with cancer. And I just passed the one-year anniversary of being done with treatment. And so, as I'm sure you can imagine, thinking about all of that um, can certainly put you into a mood to reflect. So my experience really focused my priorities as, again, I'm sure you can imagine. This pandemic has forced all of us to reevaluate what matters most. And for me, having both, well, my life and my career being completely hijacked by two deadly diseases at the same time, totally and completely solidified my commitment to the work of HR Uprise. So today I want to tell you a little bit about why and how that is the case. So some of you have probably heard this story, maybe, maybe not. But for those of you who aren't familiar, a little backstory. So in January of 2020, I got the diagnosis of breast cancer And it had taken about a month to get from when I first found the lump to multiple doctor's visits and biopsies and ultrasounds and all of that. So it took about a month. But even still, the diagnosis came up completely out of the blue. I have no family history. I don't have the risk factors that you would normally think about 
it was a complete shock. And then, a few weeks after my diagnosis, um, as we're planning my treatment plan, which involved chemotherapy, a double mastectomy, and radiation. So in the midst of all of that planning, COVID is starting to spread worldwide. And everything starts to shut down. And so as I'm putting my life on hold to fight cancer, I watched the status quo of our workplaces being completely upended by COVID as well. So companies began to make huge accommodations to keep businesses running. And many of them, by the way, are the exact same companies that had said just previously, had said, oh no, we couldn't do remote work. Oh no, we must do all of our work in person for collaboration or you know, consistency or any manner of excuses. But all of a sudden, it was commonplace to have remote work, to have flexible schedules, to expand the benefits that companies were considering. And so these companies taught us that they are perfectly capable of making life much more sustainable for employees. Remote work, perfectly functional. Commuting is totally unnecessary. I think about it now, and I just, I really do think, how on earth did we used to do the commute five days a week? For some of us, it was an hour or more each way, every day, five days a week. So in-person supervision, like seeing people butts in seats, totally unnecessary. The nine-to-five workday, I think, has been completely obliterated. At least I sincerely hope so. Letting employees work on their own time, in their own space, actually increases productivity overall. We've learned through this whole experience, that our careers are precarious. Probably just as precarious as the companies that we work for. We saw whole sectors collapse due to an unexpected global event. And I think we've all learned how risky it is to tie our personal identity up with our jobs because those jobs can disappear. And they have. So there's so much talk about the great resignation right now, right? And we're actually going to dive into this in pretty good detail in future episodes of the podcast this year. But from my perspective, what this has taught us, I think the real reason behind what we're calling the great resignation is that people are realizing they want meaning in their work. We want to be supported as people while we do our work. And so that includes being supported in our disabilities, our parenthood, 
our racial and gender identity, our family lives, our career goals. Great example of this, you know, applauding frontline workers as essential. That's just lip service. What they really need, what our frontline workers really need is good pay, reasonable hours, respect, sustainability in their work lives. And while we're at it, let's forgive those student loans too. But we all want to make sure that we're devoting our lives to work that actually means something for companies that see us as more than just a job description. I really truly believe there has never been a more important time for the message of HR Uprise. And I personally have never felt so driven to make this change in the world of work. So my personal vision for HR Uprise last year, now in 2021, was defined completely by my cancer journey the year before. So now as we kick off 2022, I want to tell you a little bit about that story because my treatment experience gave me some really, really important lessons and realizations about why we are doing this work and about the change that we're trying to make. So I want to take you back to just over a year ago when I was starting radiation. So it was in the fall. And honestly, I was not expecting radiation to be as challenging as it was. There were three, as I mentioned before, there were three major phases to my treatment in 2020. And so I went through chemotherapy in the spring. I had surgery during the summer. And then radiation started in the fall. And the experience for me of radiation was pretty disorienting. So during chemo, you know, I was surrounded by support and love, even though I couldn't physically be near my family. Um, The nurses got to know us um, and we celebrated. My family, friends all came together and celebrated as I finished. It was really, really remarkable. And then during my mastectomy, um, it was another just really incredible experience of people coming together for connection. We actually have been through a party. Um, my girlfriends and family members and I threw a boob voyage party <laughs> right before I went in for my surgery. And my surgeon even held my hand as I went under. It was amazing. So radiation is the last part of active treatment, at least it was for me. And what's interesting is when you go in for radiation, they tell you that you'll have the same team every every day. And so for me, I had to go in for 33 treatments, which essentially means you go every workday for almost seven weeks. You get the same team. And especially that first day, um, 
It's all about measurements and making sure that everything is exactly where it needs to be. And I remember laying on the table, you know, so for me, um, you're laying there, you have to have your arms above your head and you're both literally and figuratively completely exposed. And then I see that the purple markers come out and, oh, can I tell you, I just absolutely despise the purple markers. They're the markers that they use for surgery. They reminded me of that feeling of waking up from my surgery and looking down at my chest. I actually thought that something had gone quite wrong <laughs> during my surgery, but that's another story. But the purples, purple markers are nearly impossible to get off, which I suppose is the whole point. But I hate them. And, you know, honestly, it makes me feel like a prized hog when they start marking out my skin. And so the team just starts to kind of buzz around and they're just like a perfect hive of activity around me as I'm laying there. And by the way, you have to lay incredibly, incredibly still. Um, so they're doing all these measurements and everything is down to the, you know, fraction of a millimeter in the measurements. And at one point I counted, I think, three different colors of markers, Sharpies. And they're literally writing words on my chest. Oh, the bolus goes here. And, you know, that's this gel thing they lay over you. And anyway, so... So this team's just a hive of activity, boop, 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 moving around, moving around. And I started to get really emotional. The song, the song Wind Beneath My Wings came on overhead. And we're going through radiation and they're telling me to lay still. And I started to cry. And what was really interesting is like nobody noticed. And I wasn't looking for a lot of sympathy. In fact, I really didn't want that. But they're just doo -doo 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 -doo, moving around, moving around. And I kept thinking to myself, okay, I can just get out of here. I can go home and wash all of this off and at least feel a little bit more human again. And so we get done. <clears throat> In come the texts again. And they go, okay. Don't wash off the marker. We're going to need it tomorrow. See you tomorrow. And they ushered me out the door. So I walked out to my car and I burst into tears. And looking back, honestly, I never cried once during my chemo treatments. 16 times I had poison injected directly into my veins. And I did not ever cry. I had to take massive drugs to keep my body from completely rejecting the poison that was being injected into my veins. And I did not cry once. And I cried the first day of radiation. And so here's realization number one from this experience for me. I realized that I was just a part of this team getting through their workday. 
they were the model of efficiency. They were super friendly, um, at least, you know, in their own way. And I was, again, I was just sort of like on a, I felt like I was on a conveyor belt, you know, okay, next one, off you go. And, you know, in healthcare, of course, um, you're really supposed to be the patient in the, the center of care, right? As I thought about it, um, I wondered, like, how often do we have this kind of experience in the workplace, regardless of whether you're in healthcare or any other industry? How often do we do this? You know, a job that we do every single day that becomes rather routine for us. If there's somebody on the other end of that experiencing it, is this the first time they've experienced it? How are they doing? Are we checking in with them? So, you know, the machine is swirling around me, the team is swirling around me, and everybody was doing their job with efficiency and quote-unquote professionalism. But I was visibly upset and nobody noticed. And by the way, that song, Wind Beneath My Wings, do you guys remember that? what that's from? Yes, that song is from a movie with Bette Midler and Barbara Hershey, I believe, from eons ago. It is a movie about a friend dying of cancer. Bette Midler, in the movie, writes the song about her friend who has died from cancer. I couldn't let that part go. So, realization number two. A lot of our workplaces are built around a product or a service, and the default role for employees is to produce that product or service. And honestly, we have to figure out a way to operate that puts people first. Being in the sole business of productivity automatically erases our humanity from the very start. So come back with me to the second day of treatment. I go in. I still have marker all over because it takes forever to get off. They redraw some of it. Do, 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 do. Here we go again. And then they go, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. And I said, hold on a second. I just need to pause for a minute. I need all of you to pause with me for a moment. And I just need to share with you what this represents for me, what this entire experience represents for me. For me, this represents another assault on my body in what has been a year of one after another after another. It feels incredibly vulnerable to lay here like this. And I think it's really important for you to know that. I need you to know how difficult this is for me to feel like 
I'm here and to feel like I'm being marked up like a piece of meat. I understand that you need it, but it feels incredibly dehumanizing to me. And I think it's really important for you to hear that too. And I will say to their credit, they listened and told me, oh, yes, we want to hear that. They, one of them said, oh, I wish I could give you a hug. Of course, COVID, you know, wouldn't allow that. I'm not sure, honestly, I'm not sure that I really got all the way through because the next day it was the same thing over and over again. In fact, I think probably the biggest change out of that particular conversation was that they asked me if I wanted to turn the music off, which I did. Much rather have silence than listening to songs about dying of cancer. So for me, I realized at that point that I just needed to figure out how to get through it, how to manage through the next, at that point, it was 31 treatments of radiation and what I would do. So here's realization number three. It is incredibly scary and feels like very high stakes for people at the bottom of a power structure to speak up and critique the people who are in charge. So when they do, listen. Don't get defensive. Understand how much this person is putting themselves out there. And listen. Radiation never really got any easier for me, to be honest. Um, But a week or two later, there was a new tech. Um, who happened to be there that day. And she was just so lovely. (laughs) She was such a breath of fresh air for me. Um, She told me, she said, I know you've done this a bunch of times, but I'm just going to walk you through exactly what we plan to do today. And then she asked permission to touch my body as she was getting me ready for the treatment that day. And she communicated the entire time. And at the end of the treatment that day, I went to find her just to thank her. I found her afterwards and I said, I just, I just want to thank you for what you did. You recognized me. I felt like you saw me as a person. And it's not something that I have felt through this entire treatment. And out of nowhere, I started to get emotional because I was just so grateful. And she looked at me and she said, this is how it should be every day for you. We can make sure that this happens for you. Well, it turns out she was the supervisor of this team. And she was then there every single day for the rest of my treatment. So here's realization number four. Be that person for someone in your workplace. Be that ally who is attuned to the humanity of those around you. Be the reason that someone else breathes a sigh of relief. So this whole experience left me newly galvanized for the world of work and 
especially for the work of HR. I never, ever want to be the person in the power in a workplace who causes someone to feel like their feelings and agency don't matter. I never want to treat employees like projects or productivity machines rather than as real dimensional people. I want employers to understand that the default cultural structure for most workplaces is to erase people's humanity. We make little or no space for emotions, extenuating circumstances, or different ways of being. And historically, we've called this, quote unquote, professionalism. But the truth is, there is no such thing as leaving it at the door. We are human beings, even when we're at work, and we really have to be treated as such. So that leads me to realization number five. If you are feeling dehumanized at work or by your job and you're thinking, it must be just me, it is almost certainly not just you. I hear that phrase all the time. So whether I'm doing investigations helping companies with that. I hear that phrase over and over again. I thought it was just me. So I can tell you, almost certainly it is not just you. So first and foremost, be kind to yourself. I want you to know that you absolutely deserve better. And there is help for you to figure out what your options are, to look for a way out, or to resolve the situation. My experience with radiation completely clarified my commitment to centering employees as people first. Employees, I want you to expect this from your employer. It should be our new normal. Hold them accountable. And here's my message to you, employers. Denying someone's humanity never leads to better performance. No matter how inefficient or disruptive you might feel it is to center employees as people first. So that's my personal context for this past year of HR Uprise. And it's what continues to drive me as we kick off 2022. As with most challenging workplace situations, I found myself vowing to never again let that kind of experience happen for someone else. Not on my watch. There's something very empowering about learning this kind of lesson and being able to turn it around and do something about it. And the truth is you are the ones who are empowering me to do that. Your support, your interest in what we're doing, your commitment helps keep me in this fight. I know that we all have our own vulnerable stories that have led us to fight for change. You probably have your own hard experience that may have drawn you to HR Uprise in the first place. So to all of you, thank you. 
Happy fucking new year. Let's keep shaking things up in 2022. Thanks for listening. Problem Performers is a production of HR Upraise Media, part of an organization built around a single question. What if you could have HR that works for you rather than your boss? Well, now you can with your own HR Uprise coach. Get affordable, confidential advice from an experienced HR pro who works only for you. Learn more at hruprise.com. And hey, employers, we've got you covered too. HR Uprise provides independent investigations, harassment prevention training, private employee coaching, and much more. Email us at hello at hruprise.com or visit our page at hruprise.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.